0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. We just had a great weekend. Uh, Two days of outreaching into our community here in Morristown. On Friday morning, we actually shuttered the doors of our office and announced the church has left the building. And uh, and we just had a fantastic time. If you weren't able to be there, no worries. There were several highlights uh, of our outreach. The three pockets of people that got really put on our heart to serve. Um, you know, it was an amazing thing as we kind of uh, uh, left and went out to the streets. But the first really pocket of people we wanted to hit were really the, the immigrant workers and population of day laborers down by the train station. Many of you see them every day. We go by them. But it was an amazing thing just to be able to minister to them some of our, Latino brothers and sisters, maybe they're here from Honduras or, or Guatemala or Colombia or Venezuela, and really uh, people who a lot of people in society have just kind of forgotten about. And we said, can we just love on them just to show them God's love in a real practical way? And so uh, you saw they probably they gave out these bags, and it was kind of fun because in the bags we put everything. Of course, we put our, our bottle of you know of liquid water, a uh, you know. Little breakfast, you know, kind of bar thing. And then, of course, we we're like, well, let's balance, balance that out. So we put a, you know, an apple. It's like a few healthy people probably still left in the world. And then, and then work gloves. And that was just kind of a neat thing to be able to give them a pair of work gloves. I'll tell you about that in a sec. But, but it was amazing to just experience how grateful those workers were for a gift so modest in size. Um, Alex Durandi told me one of the day laborers actually said he felt like it was Christmas. Navidad. (laughs) And, and I thought, how appropriate, you know? Because Christmas really marks the moment in which Jesus Christ came to this earth. In a very real way, we were trying to bring Jesus once again just to ordinary people on the streets who God loves. So I want to thank Alex and all of our, our bilingual congregants who served as Spanish translators. It was great just to be able to share a conversation with many of them. Uh, the best part was kind of walking up and down Speedwell from the train station to Burger King and Dunkin' Donuts, and seeing all these day laborers with their with their little white bags. Some actually, you know, took two and took three, and that was fine. Uh, you know, and so they were eating and sipping on their chilled water. And one of the white workers was, he was so pumped about the gloves. He was like, just, he was like, oh my gosh, you know, gloves like this is like, it's just like, it's just gloves, you know, <laughs> and disproportionately so. And, and when we asked why he goes, oh no, no, no. He took out another pair from his back pocket and held them up huge holes in the palms, fingers sticking through. And, and he kept saying, gracias, gracias, you know, you know, may God, God pay you back. And, um, a few folks asked why we were doing this, you know, and we just pointed actually to the to the phrase we had printed on, on each bag. Um, Porky Dios Tima. Did I get that right? Is that... I've been working on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've really... <laughs> Porque Dios te ama. Okay, thank think Sandy. Correct me. She's like, oh, Pastor Tim, don't. The sad part is it took some of us some doing to pronounce. And even though you know we butchered it, it actually didn't matter. Uh, Alex was telling me that she says even when you kind of speak your Spanglish thing, uh, she goes, many of our people. She's from Venezuela. She says many of our neighbors are just so touched. At least you've tried, tried to enter their world, tried to just extend a hand of friendship in their native tongue it means so much to them. And it was just the coolest thing to see all those those, well, you know, white outflow shirts kind of crawling along the train station and, and sidewalks. It just made me proud to be part of this church. You know, some churches measure um, success by numbers. You know, as they, they like to say, nickels and noses. You know, coins in the plate, butts in the pew. <laughs> We're just not driven by that. We just don't think God's that impressed with money or attendance on any given Sunday. More than anything, I identify with Rick Warren who said this. He said, you don't judge the strength of an army by how many soldiers sit and eat in the mess hall but by how they perform on the front line. Likewise, a church's strength is not seen in how many show up but in how many serve in the ministry. And serve, many of you did. It was so cool just to be able to go the church churches, left the building, and know that the most important service we had this weekend was actually not our worship service, but our service to our friends and our neighbors on the front line. So thanks to many who made time to do that, and all of you who are going to be involved serving this coming weekend. We're going to do it again and some of the other projects as well. Uh, I was speaking with one of our volunteers, Amelia, I think, and, uh, she, she got there really early, like, I think six or seven a.m. She was like, served till nine a.m. And then she had to go to work from nine thirty to six thirty. And she teaches preschool. Okay. So two hours of serving followed by nine more hours in a classroom full of three year olds. That is a long day. And that's a big sacrifice to get up early and pour yourself out that way. But that's the spirit of Christ at work through, through you, his people. So so many thanks to all you who just invested the time to reach out and touch the lives, particularly our low-income neighbors and friends. That's a big deal in God's sight. Deuteronomy 10 kind of moved us to this, reminding us that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. The, or The, the alien, the, what the Bible refers to, is, is the, the immigrant who lives in a foreign land without the benefit that many of us have of, of language or, or, or education or lacking basic economic resources. And just to be able to tell them that, you know what, God cares and we care and you matter and you are not forgotten. In fact, God hasn't just forgotten you, he's watching out for you. That is a huge deal. And that's part of living out the kingdom of God in the real world. The people who are on the margins of society who maybe others ignore or scorn and let them know, you know what, God has not forgotten, not by a long shot, and that he's actually ordained special favor and compassion for those in need. We also had the privilege of serving the professionals. Uh, we didn't discriminate, you know, against the people who go into Manhattan and make money. Uh, they were grateful, but a little bit more suspicious. You surprised by that? <laughs> I think many of them didn't know what to make at first of all, like the white t-shirts and like free water. Like, oh, I'm not buying. I'm not buying. We're like, no, no string attached free. Most of them were half asleep, maybe a little cynical, like, well, nothing's free in life. <laughs> So they were hesitant at first to be simply served, but we gave them a paper with a handwritten note on it. You can kind of see it there. It says, it said, good morning, friend. Our church just wanted to give you this small gift to say, God loves you this morning. Hope you know he cares, and so do we. Have a great day. And and it's funny, as people took that, they seemed to get a few smiles. I got to shout out huge thanks to all of you who work behind the scenes writing hundreds of notes at our offices that was, like, one of the most thankless but essential roles, and I'm sure some of you got, like, carpal tunnel syndrome. So we'll, like, we'll pray for you after, lay like hands on you. Oh, okay. And uh, I, I thought it was particularly poetic that that note, you know, reminding people of God's love was posted over the front page banner headline, Sharp James Indicted on 25 Counts of Corruption, you know? <laughs> like, you know like, there's so much bad news in our world. It's nice to overshadow that once in a while with an expression of kindness first thing in the morning instead. Uh, folks seem grateful for the water on a warm day. God gave us perfect weather and it was, it was fun how some of you guys figured out ways to draw the more skeptical commuters in. I have to brag on Jim McCourt a little. Uh, Don Ray told me this story, just classic. Jim is one of our senior congregants. Uh, we do have a lot of young folks at our church, but we've got folks in their 60s and 70s as well. And Jim is in his, I think, 60s. He's probably 70. But but he sits right there, right behind, you know, at, in the third row of a 630 service, okay? Every, like clockwork. Never misses a service. He's there 20 minutes early. He loves to serve and be a part of reaching out. Now, here's the deal. Jim's a former Marine uh and in spite of his you can kind of see it and in spite of his white hair he's like one of the most vibrant and live men i know anyway jim was positioned at the front door of the train station where all the commuters were entering and you know you know many of them are like you know heads down they're walking fast you know gonna avoid eye contact just immune to you know what's going on so anyway this young woman's walking in she's got her laptop bag and she's all like dressed up for work and jim's like hey young lady how about a bottle of free water it's friday god loves you free water and she's like, no, 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 thank you, no. She goes with my, he's like, hey, how about a newspaper? And he holds up, you know, a Star Legend. She's like, no, no, thank you, I'm okay. And she's about to enter the train station. Jim's like, okay, no problem. Hey, quick, quickly, quickly. Uh, before you go today, I got to tell you one thing. He's got a little Brooklyn in him. And she turns, she's like, yeah. And, and he goes, you are stunning. <laughs> I just need to tell you that. You look absolutely stunning this morning. I don't want to, you know. And the girl turns around and it's like big grin kind of comes across her face. and She's like, you know what? I will take the water she goes, <laughs> and the newspaper. And she took lots of water and the newspaper. It's great. You know, and I was like, I was like, Jim is literally the only guy in this entire congregation who could get away with a comment like that. You know, 70 <laughs> year old Marine, just telling some young gal the way it is. You know, I, I love that because it's about taking a risk to interact with people outside the church walls, to offer a graceful interruption in people's daily routines and business, Just taking a moment to remind them of the greatest truth at the heart of the universe, that God loves them just as they are, unconditionally, without pretense, without strings. Whether you're wearing a business vest or you're just a pair of dirty work gloves, Jesus Christ came to this earth for you out of love. God cares. Each mattered deeply to him, and that's why they matter deeply to us. Now, the partygoers were another story altogether. Uh, any of you here who were out last night until like, yeah, Anthony's a little bleary eyed. I I saw Dawn. She was just like, sorry, my hair is wet. She goes, I got home at like three. I was like, three? They're out to like 1.30 a.m. I was like, are are you recovered? But the funniest thing was the later it got, the more interactive people became. They actually became a little more chatty. I was shocked, you know? And, uh, we were giving out pizzas and it was funny. They were coming every 20 minutes. We went, uh, at the peak, we went through about five pizzas, pizza pies every 20 minutes. And people were just chowing down as they kind of came out of the bars and restaurants and all told over 800 slices of pizza. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of grease right there. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and water too. Um, and coupled with the bottles that we passed out in the morning, uh, we, we estimate we gave over about 2,300 bottles of liquid water over the weekend. Can we thank those who did the lifting and, you know, <laughs> the preparation for all that? That is awesome. Um, Water is one of our signatures, kind of about liquid, kind of goes, you know, with our church name, and uh, although it's a very simple thing to do, you know, to give cold water to folks on a hot summer day, we're actually told it's a big deal in God's eyes. When Jesus sent his disciples into the city streets and the towns, he actually encouraged them with these words in Matthew 10. He said this, he said, this is a large work that I've called you into, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who's thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice, a true disciple. You won't lose out on a thing. Remember, little things done with great love really can make a huge difference. Anyway, it really was a great weekend indeed. So thanks to everyone who helped organize, particularly to Mike Leahy and Abby Hansen and Corinne Wagner. Can we get those guys organized, all of you guys? That was amazing and um, just awesome. Those of you who are going out to serve, who have yet to serve, you'll be contacted this week by them with final details. So if you miss sign-ups, you can actually, if you're like, wait, I, this is my first week, I'd love to help. You can actually check that on the uh, connection card here that we fill out kind of at the end. But you can just say, hey, I miss sign-ups. Uh, I'd like to serve next Friday, morning or night or Saturday. You can check that and just throw that in the, uh, the offering basket later on. But um, it was awesome. It was just a great time. We're so excited to see what God's going to do next. All right. Well, tonight, today, I say that we, we culminate kind of this outflow series. And some of you may be familiar with the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he is not Latino. He is German. <laughs> he was a German theologian who opposed the Nazi regime during World War II. And from his cell in the Flossenbürg concentration camp, he wrote this. The church is only the church when it exists for others. You agree with that? You know, I, I've never met a pastor who didn't agree in some measure with that statement. In fact, just about every evangelical Christian I know speaks well and kind of values the importance of serving and blessing and reaching those outside wall, our church walls. But, but to be quite honest, it's sometimes difficult to, to, to reconcile our rhetoric, the way we speak about things with our actions, the way we actually do them, our speaking and our doing. Because while many followers of Jesus want to reach out to the world around them, many of them suffer from a, from a disease that, that cripples their efforts. A disease I'd like to call Roof Tile Syndrome. And I derive that name from Mark chapter 2. And in fact, let me invite you to turn with me to Mark 2. We've got your pew Bibles on the seats there. Tom, I'll give you a little bit of lights. It's located on page 695 of the Bible. I see a little bit more lights there, Tommy. And around the back there, so folks can, can follow in the back. Um, this tells the account of Jesus healing a paralyzed man. And I think you'll see it really kind of challenges us to see beyond like our short-term comfort of like in-the-church mentality to God's larger vision of reaching people in our sphere of influence who are in need. So show you what I'm talking about. Read with me Mark 2, beginning with verse 1. It's under Jesus heals a paralytic. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them, the good news. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I want you to just stop right there, middle, middle of the story, a moment, and just see if you can capture this. Roof tile syndrome, okay? That's the name given actually by Mark Buchanan, who I'm indebted to for this perspective. He writes this He says, roof tile syndrome is when we are so caught up in the preaching of jesus <laughs> that we turn our backs to the needs of those still outside the building we become barriers and not gateways it's when we care more about keeping things intact than about restoring lives that are showered shattered so so get this okay jesus is speaking inside a house His popularity is growing. He's healing people. And so it's packed. Standing room only. S-R-O, okay? No room, it says. Not even outside the door. So people are like out into the street to hear Jesus. And then it says some men bring their buddy who's a paraplegic to the place, carried by the four of them. So catch this. These guys are like, it doesn't matter that there's so many people here. We've got to get our friend to Jesus. Because they believe Jesus can change his life. But they got a problem. A crowd of backs (laughs) is facing them at the door. A barricade of backs. And there's no getting past them to reach Jesus. So what do they do? They wreck the roof. (laughs) They literally start ripping the place apart. (laughs) See, in the first century, houses in the Middle East were actually made of stone. And they had roofs that were made out of mud and clay and straw, all compacted together. Basically like thatch. And there was typically like a ladder on the outside of the, uh, of the house or stairways that led up to the roof. So most likely these guys must have actually saw the crowd. They're like, "We can't get them in this way, but we gotta get them to Jesus." And so they carried this their lame buddy up the outside stairs or the ladder, and they just started literally hacking away, just like digging and scratching, kicking in the roof. Now I want you to imagine the scene from the inside of the house. Let's pretend we're in the house right now, <laughs> okay? And all of a sudden, I'm you know, just kind of standing here. Okay, open up to Mark two, and you just all of a sudden hear. <laughs> You know, the scratching, scratch, scratch, scratch. And it's like, is that, does anyone like hear, does anyone, you hear that? And then all of a sudden, just like, and like a trickle of dirt. You <laughs> <And> like earthquake. <laughs> and then, some more, and people like start looking at like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, huge clumps of mud and straw start caving in, and the dust settles. And literally, there's like dust everywhere. And people are like wiping the dirt from their hair. And all of a sudden, shafts of sunlight start filtering through. And you just see these four faces kind of like poking in. You know, imagine one of the guys being like, "Sorry, <laughs> about that." Uh, and slowly, ever so slowly, they lower their friend through this gaping hole in the roof until he comes to rest, laying before literally Jesus, who likely had mud and dust and straw in his hair too. And everybody was, pro- you know, probably looking at Jesus like, "Well, how's he going to respond to this?" You know, and pick up now at verse five. Look at this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "Son." That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Quite a day, hmm? It's kind of amazing, but these four men literally wrecked the roof. To bring their friend before Jesus because everyone's crowding them out. And Jesus, seeing the strength of their faith, these are some men, (laughs) forgives the paralyzed man and literally changes his life, heals him. And, of course, controversy breaks out among the religious folk, the church people, the teachers of the law. Because, see, this is pretty unorthodox, right? I mean, the men's bold actions, ripping the the roof off the church, you know? As well as Jesus' bold response. But the religious folks are appalled because they have roof tile syndrome. Go back to Buchanan's comments. Catch this. Roof tile syndrome is when we're so caught up in the preaching of Jesus, we turn our backs to the needs of those still outside the building. We become barriers and not gateways. It's when we care more about keeping things intact than about restoring lives that are shattered. It's when we're more upset when, set when stuff gets broken than excited when the broken are mended. It's when church gets reduced to the preaching of Jesus so that we fail to notice that we're actually seeing very little of the forgiveness and healing of Jesus. It's when we're so fearful about upsetting the religious folks or house owners in our midst that we stop taking risks to get people to him. Show of hands, how many of you have friends or family members that have needs that you know in your heart of hearts? Only Jesus can solve. Only God is going to solve this in their life. All right? Yeah. Okay. I see your hands. Maybe their marriage is in trouble. <laughs> it's about you know they're headed right down you know headed right down the road, or they're, they're struggling with an addiction, or, or, or sickness, or disease, or just spiritual emptiness. Question for you: When you think about those family and friends, what roof tiles might you need to break in order to bring them to Christ? I want you to keep their face in your mind as we talk about becoming the kind of people who are willing to go to extraordinary and orthodox lengths to reach people around us. As a church, we're kind of faced with this question in this forum: What are we willing in this church to suffer the loss of for the sake of reaching thousands of people who are right outside our door, right here in Morristown in the, in, in the tri-state area? See, see, one of the challenges of living as Christ followers is being committed to the Great Commission, this idea to bring the good news that there's new life in Jesus Christ to every corner of the world, beginning with our with our own neighborhood. And the challenge is, if we're not intentional about that, guess what we do? We kind of like the cushioned seats. <laughs> we become subtly protective of our own comfort and kind of put our needs above others who really need reaching. That's why we have, because it's not about us, it's a reminder of our t-shirts. I'll give you an example of this. I've got a friend who is an elder at his church. That's um, that's a fancy term for like a governing board that runs the show, okay, in his denomination. <laughs> And he was telling me how discouraging it is right now because they're going through a major conflict in this church. Just big conflict. It's got all the people divided, riled up, and it's sapping all of, of, the, of their leadership's energy. And I was like, well, what's, what's going on? Tell me what's happening. I, you know, I don't want to pry, but like, what's the epic conflict? And he's like, the teen program. I was like, the, the, teen, the teenagers? The teenagers program? What, what, what's happening? And he says, well, here's what happened. We brought a new youth guy in here, and and he wanted to like redecorate the the, the meeting space, like the, the the room that the teens meet in, um, to just make it more appealing for kids. So, so like they'd be like a bit you know cooler. And so he like put up like some posters of like some some hip hop artists, and um and and that that wasn't that wasn't what did it. He painted the ceiling black. I was like, no. Now, now, while you or I may not think this is a big deal, one of the founding parishioners of their church did. And she wrote a strongly worded letter to the senior pastor in the board expressing how appalled she was that a Bible-teaching church would allow a rogue youth minister to paint the room black, the color of, hmm, I don't know, Satan? <laughs> she literally wrote that in her letter. <laughs> And seriously, we could, you know, dismiss that as the uptight neuroses of you know the church lady. But the but the deal was others agreed. (laughs) They were shocked that the room would look so worldly that there were posters of sports stars and and, 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 you know hip hop artists and stuff as well. And and check this out kids were actually starting to come to their church who were not Christians. In fact, a couple of them were spotted smoking in the parking lot before one of the services, and that confirmed the ungodly influence of the black ceiling. (laughs) And the whole thing blew up lands on my friends, plays a board member, and they actually had to call a special emergency meeting of the congregation to address the crisis. It was like, what happened? I was like, so what happened at this meeting? Like, what'd you do? And he goes, well, it was actually resolved when one of the, you know, our leaders, one of the, 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 the senior elder, he pointed out that black is also the color of many Bibles. <laughs> <laughs> so they decided on a compromise. They decided not to fire the youth director and just paint over the ceiling. I kid you not. True story. See, wrecking the roof was not a popular practice in the first century. And it's still not in many 21st century churches. (laughs) But one of the lessons that Mark 2 teaches us is that sometimes roof tiles need to be broken in order to bring a lost friend to Christ for healing. And that can cause some of us discomfort, even among those of us who wouldn't consider ourselves church ladies. I'll speak real personally here, okay? A broken tile for us this past weekend was reaching out to the partygoers here in Morristown, alright? If you drove down South Street at 1 a.m. last night when I did, when I drove by there, it was amazing. It, and I'm, you know, it jarred me. You would have seen this throng of partygoers kind of stu- you know, some of them are kind of stumbling out of the Funky Monkey and in the White Horse Inn. And then you would have seen, you know, this giant white ice cream truck. Because God loves you on the side. Blaring music, and, and, and you would have seen a crowd of folks in, in our church t-shirts mingling with the party crowd. And it was amazing because I kind of thought, I was like, oh, this might be like a junior high dance, like all the church people over here, you know, all the, all the partiers over here. It was not a junior high dance. It looked like one big party. <laughs> Honestly. And, and the cops were standing there just kind of watching this whole thing. And a casual observer might ask, well, what are a bunch of Christians doing out there with all the drunks? And our answer would be wrecking the roof, breaking some tiles in order to bring our lost and needy friends to Jesus, serving them in his name. And when God's people take the time to do that, some neat things happen. I'm going to ask Jessica Bancroft to come up here. Jessica is the wife of David who leads our worship band, and she was in one of the groups that was serving over the weekend. And, um, Jessica, you had a pretty cool experience, actually, with one of the girls that you met coming out of the bars. Can you just kind of tell us briefly yeah, about
1: that? Yeah, totally. I had a, it was a great experience, actually. Um, the night was winding down, and, you know, some people were a little tipsy, needless to say. And I saw this girl, Kate, standing off by herself. And um, I thought, you know what? I think she needs a piece of pizza. So I went over, handed the piece of pizza to her, and she goes to me, this is, this is because God loves me, right? And I was a little surprised by that. I'm like, okay, he beat me to the punch on that one. Um, She goes, well, you know, God must really love me. And I was, again, I was just really surprised. And I was looking at her like, why is that? And she's like, well, this morning on my way to work, I work in Morristown, I got off at the train station and someone handed me a newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) And on it was this note that said, because God loves you. And I was just shocked. I mean, here I'm thinking, I was just going to give her a piece of pizza. I wasn't even going to necessarily say anything. And yeah. she's, she's getting this message. Right. And, um, you know, we were talking a little bit further, and she said, you know, it's really funny because before I went to work this morning, I was talking with my dad, who's an atheist, you know, doesn't believe in God. And, um, you know, she was kind of having this discussion with him and she's like, you know, dad, so many things happen in this world that are completely outside of our control. You know, I think, I think there might be something more to this. And she said, you know, she just looked over at me, a little tipsy and she said, I think God's trying to tell me something.
0: Awesome. Awesome. It was just, it was amazing. Great, amazing. time. That awesome. amazing. Thank you, Jessica. You thank Jessica for coming up and just sharing with us real quick. Um, You know what I love about that? Again, you know, you can't plan these things. You can't calculate them. It's just planting seeds. But you were trusting God's spirit to actually do the rest. What what strikes me is that when we're willing to take a risk and actually wreck the roof, kind of break those sacred tiles in order to reach and bring lost and searching people to Christ, it's that we discover God's already in on it. (laughs) You know, if you go back to Mark 2, I, I want you to notice three things about how Jesus transformed the life of this man. Notice first that it took four people to bring him to Jesus. So some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. In other words, it's not just up to us. I want you to think of your friend or your family member who you raised your hand for. I think one of the things that keeps many of us from reaching out to friends or coworkers or family who need Christ is that we think it's all up to me. (laughs) I got to wait for just the right moment. I got to say just the right thing and I got to present Jesus in this crystal clear, perfect way that makes perfect sense. Wrong. In fact, most times, when a people, when a person comes into a relationship with God, actually puts their faith in Jesus, it's because God has already been working out of sight, undercover in the background. Oftentimes involving three or more other people, you know, so it's like, well, you may be reaching out to your, 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 your your friend, you know, or your family member. Think of you like your uncle. I'm thinking of my uncle, my brother, whoever. They also have, you know what, there's a, there's a bit, there's a grandma who's been praying for this person. There's a coworker who just became a believer. And they're having some work done at their house. And, and there's an electrician who's a follower of Christ who actually is, is, is in. A, and you're the fourth. And God uses each one in the process of drawing them to Jesus for radical life change. And that's why it's critical that we each play our part and actually say, you know what? God's spirit is going to do the behind-the-scenes work. I'm just going to step out and do a small thing. Secondly, notice that, that these men recognized their friend's need for, for Jesus. Not, not, they, they didn't falsely believe that they were the solution to their friend's problem. Right, We're under no illusions of, you know, there's no magical powers behind pizza and water. This is not going to transform lives, folks. (laughs) But so many of us do believe that there's something outside of God that we could just kind of help them along a little bit. Like, we're going to say everything right, do everything right, and give them, like, the perfect book. Nope. (laughs) It's not going to be about giving, you know, the perfect tape or CD or a copy of Dr. Phil's latest. They're like, Jesus is the only solution to our buddy's problem here. And we gotta bring him before him, because that's our only hope. And says when Jesus saw their faith, their belief, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Which is kind of curious. Like, Like this guy was obviously coming to Jesus for like this physical health concern. But here's the truth, here's the deal. Maybe that's why you're here this morning, by the way. Folks are often feel drawn to God because they have an obvious kind of felt like surface need. Like their marriage is in the tank. And so they show up at church. Or they lost their job, or they're feeling empty or depressed, or they're struggling with an addiction. And here's the deal. God wants to enter into that. Absolutely. But those things are likely symptomatic. In other words, Jesus shows us here that there's typically a deeper spiritual need underneath it all. That's why he says, your sins are forgiven. Get this? Because it's kind of like, wait, why why does he... The biggest truth is, we're all broken. (laughs) We all busted. We all damaged goods. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's how the Bible puts it. It refers to the ways we've all actually rejected God, gone our own way, and until that relationship is repaired, actually none of the symptoms can be taken care of. It's like, so why did Jesus have the authority to do this? Look at verse 7. That's where the religious leaders, they go, go, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming, like he's pretending to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, they understood that Jesus was claiming divine prerogative To be God himself. And that's at the heart of this conflict, folks. That Jesus claims to be the living incarnation of God, who alone has the power to heal broken lives, forgive sins, and reunite us back to God. Verse 8 says this, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what they were talking about, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, he says, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say get up, take your mat, and walk? Verse 10, But that you may know. That the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, take, get up, take your mat and go home. Circle that phrase, Son of Man has authority. This is the first time in Mark that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man and that's significant. Here's why. The title Son of Man emphasizes that, you know what, Jesus is fully human. He he was 100% human, totally able to identify actually with all of our temptations, all of our faults, our our failings, and our sufferings. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that that we are for 33 years on this earth, yet was without sin. That's why it was like so important he was born of a virgin so he could be sinless. But the other title that Jesus wears in the rest of the gospel is Son of God, which emphasizes that he was also 100% God, fully divine. As God's one and only sinless son, he alone had the authority to forgive sin. And that's the gospel, the good news, that when Jesus came to this earth and sacrificed himself on a cross, it was full payment for the sins of all mankind. And anybody putting their faith in Jesus as the perfect sacrifice is the only thing that sets us right with God. It clears our record because God cancels our debts and credits us with the righteousness or the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. So, if you want to be made right with God, this is how, okay? You put your faith in Jesus Christ, not just believing that He, you know, was a good teacher or came, taught some decent things. He was God in the flesh. When He died, He took on our sufferings on Himself and, and, and actually to say, you know what, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm broken. I, I'm the crippled guy. I, I can walk physically, but I'm a sinner, and I need your sacrifice for me. That's the starting point. That's, the, that's when spiritual healing that comes only through the cross of Jesus Christ. And once that happens, once the spiritual problem at the core of things is resolved, then all sorts of restoration is possible. Because notice how then Jesus turns to his physical needs. He's like, okay, now that you may know, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he's, he's making a powerful statement here that I am Lord of this man's entire life, both spiritual and physical, with the power to restore both. And that's what happens when someone is touched on a spiritual and physical level by Jesus. Their life changes. Sometimes in profound ways. I love how the people respond in verse 12 here. Look at this. We've never seen anything like this. <laughs> They rip the roof off, this guy walks out. What the <laughs> you see the process? Someone like surrenders their life to Christ and admits their sins, for receives his forgiveness, is filled with spirit, what happens? Your marriage changes. Not overnight. But once what seemed irreconcilable now has the hope of restoration because you actually have the spirit of Jesus in you. The power of addiction that held you and you felt powerless is broken. Because you first admitted your need, that actually I'm powerless to help myself. that sound familiar? Okay. I'm crippled in the soul. <laughs> and that apart from God's intervention, you are helpless. That's the moment God steps in to move powerfully and break chains and actually change your life. But it starts with an admission of need. Not for you know self-improvement plan, but a need for Jesus alone, for the touch of God. Now finally, notice just the last thing about this wreck the roof party. What I love about these guys, these four men, never learn their names, but they're the heroes. They cared enough to get involved, and many people don't, do they? To get dirty, and get involved in the life of our friends and our neighbors in need. You know, to, to, to go the extra mile and actually strain to carry them up and dig through the roof in the hope that maybe Jesus might accept our modest faith and actually transform a life here. I want you to check this out. This is a little known fact. This is kind of a little fascinating little tidbit. And I was like, what's the significance of this? Many first century roofs. We're not just made of mud and clay and straw all packed together, but also manure mixed in with the dirt. So in a very real way, these men had to dig through a lot of, I'm a classy guy, (laughs) I'm not going to say, they had to dig through a lot of crap to bring their friend into the presence of Jesus, didn't they? And you know what? That's actually how most effective evangelism begins. Not with some calculated speech, but just a willingness to enter into the dirty stuff of a friend's life and simply show that we care. They saw their friend's need and were so moved by compassion from entrusted in Jesus that they did something about that. I want you to contrast that with the rest of the religious folks standing in the room and literally, how are they looking at this guy? Backs to him. We're having our little party. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And to hell with you. Literally. That was the message to everybody outside their little circle. Question for you. What are you willing to do? What person in your life do you know who is in need? I want you to recall their face. You raised your hand before you think of their face. Would you be willing to reach out and take a risk to bring them before Jesus? See, here's the deal. You have a part to play. Jesus asked us simply to see people in our life who are in need and take the initiative to bring them to him. But we, your church, we also have a part to play. To give you opportunities, each of us, to do that through serving and outreach. Just like we're doing this month, outreach, but also through inreach. By creating an environment here at our church that's actually relevant to everyday life and is actually comfortable and safe, place where you feel like you could bring your non believing friends to introduce them to Jesus, maybe for the first time. And you know, we're always looking for creative ways to do that. And that's why we're following up this Outflow Outreach series with a message series that's designed to reach in, to bring your friends and family here to at church to learn more about this God who gave his life for theirs. And so next week, Outflow ends. We're actually going to wrap up next Sunday with a big celebration. You're not going to want to miss it. We're going to have some special music and video just, just thanking God for all he's done over this month. But the Sunday after that, Sunday, July 29th, this is our annual August kind of fun series. Well, that's when the fun really starts, because Sunday, July 29th, we kick off our new message series called Rock God. (laughs) And you guys are the first to get a sneak peek of what's in store, a little more roof tile breaking in our church. Yeah, we can applause Jessica Bancroft. Jessica actually helped edit that video. Awesome job. How many of you have a music uh, a friend who's a music lover? All right? Enjoys a little rock, OK. You're not admitting it. Uh, yeah. Bon Jovian Church, what's the deal? On July 29th, we are starting a series called "Rock God," in which we are taking a signature song from each generation. From the '60s, we're taking the "Who? My generation." From uh, from the 70s, Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run, Bon Jovi of the 80s, Big Hair, Go Big Hair, U2 in the 90s, and then the fray, How to Save a Life, that's one of the current hits currently on the radio. And what we're doing is we're going to look at scripture through the lens of popular music. We did this last August as a way, because that's a, so many people are like, well, I got a friend who loves music. They, in fact, would love the band, but they're just kind of, I don't know, it's kind of weird going to church. We use popular culture to build a bridge to people who aren't there yet. And our idea here is simply to introduce them using something they're familiar with and they might connect with to actually the God of the Bible. (laughs) Because there's more going on in the music, actually, than you think, than just kind of like, well, isn't that all like the devil's music? Why should the devil have all the good music? We're going to take a look at some of these and how they profoundly actually align with some biblical themes here. And you can see we're going to look at uh, a holy discontent, uh, the man who ran. Is anybody listening? I mean, living on a prayer, can you really live on prayer? Is prayer li- meaningful? Is actually God listening? And David and the band are actually going to perform each song live in the service. So if you want to, if you're like Bon Jovi in church, right? Uh, okay. And we'll be rolling videos from each decade to kind of set the move because it's a, a music lover's dream. And we'll be using these songs to introduce non-believers to God in various aspects of spiritual faith. And kind of fun thing is last night, some of the uh, folks who were out in the streets kind of picked up a few of these out of our, our little truck there. And they were like looking at this. They are like, wait, what kind of church is this? And we're like, it's just a, you know, contemporary church. You know, you, you like, you like, you know, like, you're like, Bon Jovi's going to be at your church. And we're like, no, no. Well, yeah, he is actually. Yeah. It's a... <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so the, this music series is really the second time we've done this. Last year in August, we did Finding Faith in Rock and Roll. That was like our most heavily attended services ever. But the most important thing is six people gave their life to Christ that first time. It was one of the highlights in the life of our church because everybody took the risk to invite a non-believing friend or coworker, or or someone they worked with at the gym, you know, or their neighbor, and they came in droves as a total layup, especially for folks who've been turned off by organized religion because they get a fresh perspective of what faith in God is really all about. So this is our prime invest and invite opportunity, and that's why we put one ticket in your bulletin so you can pull that out and take a look at that. But on your way out, we're going to have stacks of tickets out there. You don't actually need a ticket, but this is just to invite people. And you take on your way out as many as you'd like so that you can pass them out to your coworkers or friends and invite them. Another show of hands. Just how many of you have a, have a friend or your family member, coworker, neighbor who, who is, who, who has a need to know Jesus? Raise your hand. You put it up before, okay? Keep it up. How many of you have a friend, family member, coworker, neighbor who loves rock and mural? <laughs> oh, two hands. Wave your hands in the air and wave them all around like you just don't care. Okay. Now, how do you put the two together? Very simply. You just bring them to church on July 29th. See, outreach is a springboard to inreach. And as a church, we feel both are essential to health and the body of Christ. We go and do as well as come and see and go out to serve where people are at and actually invite them to our home so they can experience Jesus Christ in a fresh and compelling way. And the coolest thing is Mark 2 just wakes me up to that. It's like I've got a role to play in God's plan in bringing others to Christ. It doesn't depend on us. It took four people to bring that man to Jesus. But So practically speaking, you may invite someone to liquid, but God's using other touches in the process. Like that girl, Kate, that Jessica told us about, God's clearly doing something. I mean, she got the paper in the morning. She was touched again on Friday night while out partying. And maybe this week she drives by the Rock God billboard we just put up across the street on her way, you know, to work. And she's like, wait, what? And it's like connects the dots <laughs> and comes. And she comes on July 29th and meets one of you in the foyer, smiling, hopefully. <laughs> and she comes to the service expecting just to hear great music, but she experiences something even better, our great God. The truth is, folks, we can't do anything but just literally bring folks into God's presence. We can pray, we can lower them through the roof, but Jesus is the only one who can forgive sins and restore our life. And that's why we should have a sense of expectation. Every time we go out to serve, God's going to do something. Every time we invite a friend in, they're going to be touched. And we should expect their life to be changed and expect God to move and come away saying, we've never seen anything like this. And that's really why I'm hoping our congregation becomes a gang of roof tile breakers. People who go like to extreme measures, shattering the bounds of traditional church to bring the touch of Jesus into the lives of our friends and neighbors who need it most. That's why we reached out last week to George's friend, Eric. Remember Eric gave a waiter at Friendly's a thousand dollar tip. Thanks to those of you who emailed me and said, well, this waitress at Pizza Hut got $10,000. Did you see that this week? We're like, yeah, we started it. You know, start started the trend. It's a mind-boggling. There are all sorts of things that money could have gone towards, you know, in this church, but we believe God wants to reach out and encourage Eric, who's a friend of one of our, our congregants, in his recovery. And to give a tangible blessing as a young father to his little daughter, Grace. He's a 20-month-old daughter. And you know what? God confirms that. Guess who shows up at our church office on Friday night? Eric, with his little daughter, Grace, as we're about to go out. He's like, I can't thank you guys enough. And the coolest part is we we're like, don't even thank us. Just you want to join us? You want to come out with us? He's like, yeah. Can I bring her? Do you have a t-shirt for her? You know? <laughs> Amazing. George mentioned to me last week, he saw Eric on Thursday and he gave him this huge hug. And, uh, and he says, you don't understand. George, I was down that morning. I took my last $20 out of our bank account. And I was down to $1.24 to live on. And then these church people show up at Friendly's. Friends of yours? You know, it's a risk. God knew, didn't he? See, those situations are around us all the time, but we have to take the risk to wreck the roof to bring Jesus to our friends. That's what we're thinking right now. You know, we've never seen anything like this um, with our extreme makeover. One of our last ones, I'll just kind of end with this just to come bring you guys in the loop. We've been tracking along. Um, the Traysack family, you may remember, um, this is a family, they live down in Flemington. They don't go to our church. But one of our regular members, Candy Mulligan, nominated them for an extreme makeover. She was the uh, third grade teacher of Kyle, who was about four and a half years old. And she knew something about the Tracex story. She knew that Kyle was one of four children and that his dad actually died last year in January. And that obviously is that is a life-altering event. That is tragic, a shattered life. And his mom is now a widow and trying to provide for four young kids. The youngest four are four, nine, and 12 years old. And Candy wrote that. She's like, Kyle's a great little boy, but their situation seems you know, kind of limited. You know, she, when she asked him what his favorite place to visit was you know, in the whole world, and he was like, Cole's and Wendy's? <laughs> He's actually never been out of his hometown of Flemington. And she was like, you know, now without a dad, it's going to be hard to, you know. She said, I just thought it would be amazing if we could show Kyle's mom and his siblings that God cares, that God loves them. Even though they lost their earthly father, a shattering event, their heavenly father is still watching out for them. And so she suggested that our church send them on a weekend vacation since they can't afford that themselves. So we started brainstorming ideas. I mentioned this to you. We were like, maybe we could send them to Sesame you know, Place or something like that or Hershey Park or like a weekend at the shore. Well, here's the, um, we've never seen anything like this part comes in. Some of you know Bobby Parati. Uh, yeah, Bobby was a liquid regular when he was in New Jersey, but recently he moved down to Orlando, Florida, to take a job at Disney World. Well, Bobby listens every week to the message online through our iTunes podcast. And so he writes us last week and he's like, we've got to send these guys to Disney World. And we're like, well, that's great, Bobby. You're trying to drum up business. But this is is a little bit beyond our church financially. And Bobby's like, let me work some Disney magic. The bottom line is... (laughs) On Thursday, we get the word. Our church is sending the Tracek family, Kyle, his widowed mom, his brothers and sisters, on an all-expense-paid vacation to Disney World. Is that amazing? That is absolutely amazing. That's amazing. We've never... Why? Because God loves you, that's why. Because he brought them to the heart and mind of one of you guys in this congregation. You took the initiative to do something and say, let's wreck the roof for this family. And show them that their lives may have been shattered, but God cares and can provide for them. So the coolest thing is Bobby, who is kind of our our kingdom of God man on the inside of the Magic Kingdom. (laughs) He has arranged for four days and three nights (laughs) at all expenses on one of the on-site Disney resorts with three-day passes for the entire family, all of the meals and stuff, like with the characters and all that. And he's like, the coolest thing is he goes, all my coworkers are like trying to make out, you know, make different ways that this is like gonna be the most special thing. So when they get to the airport, they're gonna be there with like Mickey ears and pirate hats, you know, and princess hats and all that stuff. How great is that? You know, wrecking the roof means expecting God to do more than we all planned or hoped for when we just reach out to, to plant a seed and to walk away and say, uh, we never see anything like this. <laughs> Now, I should mention one final need um, to make this extraordinary dream come true. We are looking for someone with frequent flyer miles, <laughs> okay, because it's, it's, it's a lot to send five people down there, okay, that might be willing to donate their frequent flyer miles to help, you know, secure these tickets because we need to defray the cost a bit. As you can imagine, airfare is a lot for your entire family. and um, And we're like, this would be a huge help. So if you'd be willing to donate to kind of wreck the roof and show Christ's love to a recovering family, please let us know. In fact, we've put that on the back of your connection card. That's what I'd like you to take out right now. We're going to receive our offering shortly. Um, and just check it off in the back. You can say, hey, I got frequent flyer miles. Sandy, you told me you're looking for, like, Continental or JetBlue because they go direct. Is that right? Okay. So, like, the other ones, if you have those, that's great. Um, You can send Sandy you know, to Puerto Rico or something like that. But Continental or JetBlue is really what we're looking for. Claudia's Kitchen, our other project, is coming into focus. We'll be kicking into gear next week. And the only need we have left for that is a licensed plumber. So if you got plumbing skills, would you write that on your card as well? And we'll be in touch, all right? How far will you go to wreck the roof? To care enough About someone's need to enter into their life, to pray and sacrifice to bring them before Jesus. Mark 2 is a challenge to me, folks. I mean, I, whenever I read an account like this, I'm like, I always ask myself, who do I identify with most? And that's what I'll leave you with. Who do you identify with? Are you one of the friends? You got someone in your life who's in need and it's like, this is my confirmation. I need to take a next step to bring them before Jesus so he can change your life. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to invite them on July 29th they're going to come with me. I'm going to take the risk. Or are you perhaps the person in need? Like the paralytic, you've got needs in your life. Maybe this morning, that's why you came, but your greatest one is spiritual and you need to, to actually first put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, because that's the entry point. God wants to change your life and he has plenty of power to literally overturn your physical circumstances. If you've got to rescue a marriage, you've got to heal a wound, dissolve bitterness, deliver you from debt, break the chains of addiction. But before he can transform those symptoms, he has to first change the spiritual core of you and forgive your sins. And he's dying to do that. He literally died to do that. So your next step is to put your trust in Jesus today. Maybe that's your next step. And you can do that right now as we bow together for prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you for wowing us, um, Lord. It's not about, gosh, Disneyland or anything like that, Lord. It's about you coming to this earth and showing how much you love us, Lord. When your hands were nailed to that cross, that was a statement. This is how much I love you. I thank you for that love, God. I thank you that it is the salvation of all who would put their trust in your sacrifice. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for promising your spirit to pour new life into us, Lord. And now, the invitation to be part of blessing this broken world. Of bringing your good news to people who have yet to hear. Lord, we want to be a church that is about your business. Just about all the things that break your heart. I pray now that you'd empower us to do that. Lord, I pray for each man and woman maybe needs to take a step back to you today, Lord. Maybe trust for the first time. Say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you in my heart. Would you come into my heart? You've promised, Lord, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and will forgive us of any sin. Thank you for that this morning. We worship you, Lord, not to us, but to your name be all glory and honor and power. In Jesus' name, all God's people said,